While you're turning there, just a couple of quick announcements. Ladies, you will be meeting tomorrow for ladies' study, so we're back to uh, our normal Thursday morning study, so uh, 9.30 to 11 o'clock. Uh, also, Koinia Fellowship on Saturday, uh, hosted by Jerry and Sandy, and uh, all the information is there in your bulletin, maps to uh, Jerry and Sandy's house um, at the information uh, desk out there, and it's at 6 o'clock potluck dinner. Um, also, ladies, don't forget to sign up if uh, you so desire and um, would like to go to the ladies' conference and you haven't done that on Saturday the 23rd. We have about 70 ladies that are signed up for that. And then, uh, so we're really excited, ladies. I know that you're going to be blessed. So all of you, and particularly uh, us men, we need to join in with the ladies and praying for that conference because I know the Lord wants to really speak to the ladies. So ladies, sign up for that. We want to try to get sign up, kind of complete it by Sunday so we can kind of get an idea how many are going to come and we can order lunch for everybody, make sure that we have enough for everybody. There's other things that are in your bulletin. Take a look at it. Also out there, you'll find that there is 40 days for life and um, there's this information as there. It actually begins today, I believe, and uh, goes for the next 40 days and uh, gives you all the information. It's a silent vigil uh, to stand against abortion. Some of the churches, I think, are involved in this, and uh, some of you may be interested in this, so it tells you all the information. And if I think you want any more specific information concerning that, there is, um, um, there is a, um, a number that you can call there, and, um, and you can look, take a look at that. So um, that is worth uh, taking a look at. Take a look at that, 40 days of life, and we want to make sure that that is available for you, for you who may be interested, and the Lord is leading you to participate in that. Um, as well is, um, I think there was something else. Oh, yeah, um, I got a Valentine today from little Lilaney. She's two years old. Yeah, two years old in the nursery. She made my whole day. So what is a little sweetheart? So um, you guys make sure you take care of business, all right? So tomorrow's Valentine. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time of just worship and uh, being here. I thank you for all who have come out on a Wednesday night. And um, Lord, it, it's a blessing for the family of God to be here to worship, um, to just um, worship in spirit and truth. Uh, Lord, to be able to now just allow the Holy Spirit to teach us through your word. And, uh, and Lord, what blesses me is I know that um, it's not in the church growth programs and philosophy of having a midweek study in the Old Testament. But Lord, we don't care about man's methods. We only care about being ministered by you by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, to be here to, to please you, um, with our worship and being attentive and desiring to learn of you. And, and Lord, these lessons are very valuable for us. It's a very dark time in the nation right now of Judah that we're going to read. And Lord, we can make application because it's a very dark time in our own nation. And the things that were going on then are going on now. And we know that you loved your people and you were calling them to repentance and yet they refused. And Lord, I pray that um, tonight that we can make application as a nation, we can make application as a family, we can make application as, as individuals. So Lord, we just want to give our hearts to you fully, and, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.
So since it's been a couple weeks since we've been in our study of 2 Kings because we were closed last week, that you recall that we ended with Hezekiah. He was the, the king of Judah. He was a good king. He was one that the scripture says that um, he uh, did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He removed the high places, the places of worship uh, to idols uh, out of Judah and out of Jerusalem. He trusted in the Lord with all of his heart. He followed after the Lord, and he did not serve the enemy. And, of course, we know at this time in history that as we open up chapter 20, it's about 715 B.C., and, and at that time we know that the ten northern tribes, the house of Israel, has already gone off into captivity it really, that captivity began in about 732 B.C. The two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan River were the first ones to be picked off, the tribe of Gad and Reuben and half of the tribe of Manasseh. They would go off into captivity as the Assyrians were the, the most powerful nation uh, there in the Middle East, and they were flexing their muscles and beginning to take over countries and cities. And so they take those two and a half tribes off into captivity. And I just want to remind you that as, as we look at that, we were reminded that they were on the other side of the Jordan River because you recall that they were more concerned about their cattle than they were about their calling. They wanted to stay there because the grass was green rather than cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land. And you see, one of the tactics of the enemy is he's going to try to draw you away from fellowship, from reading your Bible, from being with other believers, from worshiping. And that's a tactic of the enemy because he can make you weak and and, uh, it's a lot easier for him to deceive you, to bring you into captivity and bondage of the world and of sin. So they were taken off and then the other uh, ten tribes, all of them, would eventually be taken off into captivity And that took place, the completion of that, in about 722 B.C. So the Assyrians are continuing to flex their muscles here, and we know that they make their way into Judah. And they surround Jerusalem, and Shennacherib, the king of the Assyrians, he begins to hurl these threats against Hezekiah and against the people of Jerusalem. He says that, who is this God that Hezekiah is telling you to trust in? You people of Jerusalem, he's not going to help you, the, the God of Israel. None of the other gods from the other nations were able to help them. And so don't listen to Hezekiah, um, and you need to surrender. And so there was this bullying and threatening and uh, telling the people they need to surrender. And what will happen is, as you surrender, is that we will take you away to a land that is a good land. And that is one of the deceptions of the enemy. He'll say, surrender, you know, to me. You know, give yourself over to the world and over to the pleasures of the world. And it'll be good and it'll be nice, but it's a lie and it's a deception. So we talked about the tactics of the enemy, what he does in discouraging us and lying to us and telling us, don't listen to the Lord, don't trust in the Lord. But we learned that we can trust in the Lord, can't we? And his word is true. And he desires for us to come to him even in those times where we feel like we're surrounded and there's no way out because God is a big God and he desires to work in our situation and his promises are true and he desires for us to stand on his promises and on his word. So we know the story that Hezekiah, he took that letter that was brought to him by Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, the threats and everything else, and he spread it out before the Lord at the house of the Lord and he began to pray and he sought the Lord and the people were fasting and praying. And the Lord sent an angel to kill 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. 
And so the Assyrian army was wiped out. Shennacherib went back to Nineveh, the, the capital of the Assyrian empire, and he was killed. And that's where we left off last time. And so an amazing story that's recorded for us here in the Old Testament of God's protection and provision and God's power working. And the Lord desires to work in our lives in situations that we find ourselves being surrounded and find ourselves in bondage to. That God is there and he can work in any situation that you find yourself in. And we can trust in him. And uh, we see that certainly that Hezekiah saw the faithfulness of the Lord. So let's pick it up at verse 20 as Hezekiah, or chapter 20 in verse 1, that in those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. So as we open up chapter 20, Hezekiah becomes sick, And the prophet comes to him and says to him, put your house in order. You're going to die. And God allowed this in his sovereignty. And and godly men and women do get sick. And I reject the theology that you see so oftentimes, especially on TV, that, you know, you should be always be healthy and you should be wealthy. The prosperity uh, gospel that is promoted uh, in so many places and on the Christian TV that we hear about today. And God, in his sovereignty, you know, people get sick. And we see with great men of faith that they got sick. Matter of fact, Paul the Apostle, he was one that had a thorn in the side. He was one that got sick. We were talking this morning in my New Testament survey class to the high schoolers that um, it was Timothy, as we were talking about the pastoral epistles, he got sick. He, he got sick to his stomach, and the scripture records that. So you see great men of faith that ended up becoming sick at times, and sometimes God brought healings. Other times the Lord would take them home. But God in his sovereignty says to Hezekiah that you're going to be you know, going home, and um, it's important that you set things in order. Now, I think that that's a good word and a wise word for us here tonight. None of us like to think about death, but, you know, the statistics on death is quite incredible. Ten out of ten people do die. And we're all going to go home to be with the Lord someday unless we're raptured. And that's what I'm praying for is we all get raptured. But if the Lord tarries, um, our days will come to an end. And Moses, of course, in Psalm chapter 90 said, teach us the number of days. And it's appointed once for men to die and then the judgment. So we will pass from this life into eternal life. And uh, those of us who have Jesus Christ, we've taken care of the most important thing. And that is that we've given our hearts and our lives to Jesus Christ. We have the hope of heaven uh, that comes by our faith and trust in him. And if anyone is here tonight or for anybody's out there in a coffee shop that you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you have not come to him and received him as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to do it today because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. That's the most important thing that you can do. What's really incredible when you think about it is there's so much emphasis in life and, and um, you know, uh, planning out life and, and what we want to do and goals and, and all of this. And, um, and we should be doing those things and planning. But the most important thing for us to take care of is to take care of the spiritual 
side of things, and that is making sure that we have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. That's number one. But here Hezekiah is told to set things in order, and I think also that's a wise word for us as well. Because I've been with families, a lot of families, over 21 years of ministry, that they did not set things in order when it came to, you know, wishes, when it came to uh, personal finances, when it came to, you know, living well or whatever it might be. And so what happens is at the end of their lives, the family is left sometimes with the burden of trying to figure out what their wishes were. And, you know, we have medical technology today that can keep people alive on life support system. Is this something that they wanted? Is this something that they asked for? So I know that it's not a subject that is something that we like to talk about, but, but it, it is worth, you know, taking care of things and, and making sure that your family does know what your wishes are and taking, making sure that um, things are in order uh, to make it easier uh, when that time comes when the Lord takes us home. And so it's a little something for you to consider because, again, I've been with many families that that wasn't taken care of or wasn't talked about. And I know that it's not dinner table conversation, you know, what are my wishes when I die. There's an appropriate place for that and time for that. And um, so here Hezekiah is told to do that. But also, uh, as I want to mention to you, just real quickly again, the most important thing is take care of things spiritually. Make sure that, that your family is being taken care of spiritually. Make sure that you uh, have that desire and that you're putting in place that there is that spiritual you know, dimension and that spiritual upbringing of your children and, um, and uh, the atmosphere of your home and, and dedication to the Lord. That is first and primary. And then the other things are secondary. But Hezekiah, what you need to do is you need to make sure that you set things in order. As we continue in verse 2, then he turned his face towards the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. In Second Chronicles, the, um, it tells us that he chirped like a bird is the literal translation. He was weeping where it sounded like he was chirping like a bird, but he's weeping. He's crying out to the Lord for his life to be spared. And here's the thing. It's okay to pray for healing. When people become sick, it's okay to pray for healing and desire for healing. And Hezekiah here, he's praying, Lord, bring healing to me. And, and that's what he's crying out to the Lord. And certainly we at Calvary Chapel, we are always praying for people that are sick and, and um, in serious illnesses for healing and for that to take place. And uh, we can ask for healing. And, and the scripture gives us indication that we can ask for healing. Jesus said, ask, please ask that your joy may be full. So we can go to the Lord. It's okay to, to pray for healing. God heals today. And, but to eventually have a peace about what God's will is if he does want to take us home. So God can heal, and, and we see it in the scriptures. We see it in the book of Acts, powerful healings that were taking place. But other times we're going to see that, again, Paul, that he was one that was sick. He prayed three times that this thorn in the flesh would go away, and it didn't. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. So here Hezekiah crying out to the Lord, desiring this healing. And we read in verse 4, and it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, 
the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayers. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you to this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And then Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. So they took and laid it on the boil and he recovered. A couple interesting notes here in what we just read. Hezekiah, out of God's grace, I'm going to um, extend your life 15 years. Now, when we continue through this chapter, what we're going to see is a couple interesting things that took place in the 15 years that his life is extended. But he also says, I'm going to defend this city. So many scholars suggest that chapter 20 actually chronologically takes place before chapters 18 and 19, um, when Shennacherib comes into the city and threatens the city. So Hezekiah has received the word that um, I'm going to defend this city. And of course, as we just kind of reviewed chapter 19, that the Assyrians were defeated. They, the army was uh, destroyed. Not a single arrow came into the city, uh, just as the prophet Isaiah said. Um, and then we know that the Assyrians would be on a decline. And now the Babylonians are going to begin to increase in power as well. But also what we see here is that um, we see in verse 7 something very interesting. Um, and that is that put the figs, as we see, a lump of figs, and they laid it on a boil and he recovered. And I think that it's worth taking note of because in this day it's been recorded that they would use figs to put on a boil to pull out the poison out of the body. They, this was a, a medicinal practice that they did, a medical practice that they would use in, in, in trying to bring healing to those who had boils. And so an important consideration here is this, that it's okay to go to a doctor, okay? When we become sick, we can ask for healing, and God can bring healing. He could have healed Hezekiah just, you know, just like that, and, and he could have been healed up. We see that in the gospel accounts, a man full of leprosy that came and cried out to Jesus, and Jesus reached out and touched him, and the leprosy immediately left him, it says there. So God is able to do that, but he's also able to use doctors and, and medical technology to bring the healing as well. So there are some circles, and there are you know, some who believe, well, you shouldn't use any medicine, you shouldn't go to any doctors, and we're just going to pray for healing. And I believe that the Scripture shows us that we can go to a doctor. The Scripture shows us that here that there was this medical practice of putting a fig on and a pull out the poison. And medical technology today is very wonderful, and we can use that technology. So when we pray for people here for healing, um, that have sickness, disease, that we will pray for healing. We know that the Lord can do that, but also if they're in the hospital, if they're going through treatment, cancer treatment, whatever it might be, that we pray, Lord, use those treatments. Lord, be with the doctors and nurses uh, as they go through surgery, as they're going through treatment, to bring healing to that individual because God can do that. It was uh, Paul the Apostle 
Who traveled with Paul the Apostle? It was Luke, right? Luke, the beloved physician, as he is called in the book of Colossians. And he traveled with Paul, and I think he was able to help out Paul very practically because it seemed like Paul was always taking a beating, so it was good to have a doctor with him, you know, to help him. And also we know that Paul, he had that thorn in the flesh, and also it is believed that he had an eye disease. So Dr. Luke was one that was very much a blessing to Paul, would be with Paul, was with him in his imprisonments, and so very useful. So uh, we see that in the scripture. So here the, the medical practice of putting a fig on was uh, to draw out the poison from uh, the boil, and he recovered. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah in verse 8, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that shall I go up to the house of the Lord the third day? And then Isaiah said, This is a sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten degrees, or backwards ten degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to go down ten degrees. No, but let the shadow go backwards ten degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord, and he brought the shadow ten degrees backwards, by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. So the sign is going to be this. For after three days, you're going to go up to the house of the Lord. You're going to give thanks to the Lord because you're going to be healed. Well, what's going to be the sign that I'm really am healed? And we see that the sundial is going to move backwards 10 degrees. And what that would mean is that the day is going to be extended by a couple hours, just as your life is going to be extended, Hezekiah. So a miracle of God, and God is the creator of the universe, and when you think about it, you know, the day the, the earth is spinning and rotating, um, and that determines our day, and also on the axis that it's on, and so what the Lord would do is stop that and actually back it up. As the sundial would go back 10 degrees, absolutely amazing, but God would do that. It reminds me in Joshua chapter 10, Joshua's long day, remember, that he's fighting the Canaanites, and he needed some more time to destroy them. So the sun stood still, and there was, you know, that long day of Joshua, and the Lord is able to do that because he's the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sun and the moon, and, and uh, he can do whatever it is that he wants. So he puts the sundial, goes back. The day is extended a couple hours. You have Joshua's long day. You see also that at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that there was darkness over the land for uh, three hours. And in those hours, it was dark, and it was an eerie darkness. It wasn't an eclipse because... It happened on Passover. Passover always takes place on a full moon, so e eclipse could not happen. So, you know, supernaturally, the Lord brought this darkness. It reminds me of one of the plagues that came upon Egypt was darkness, wasn't it? So there was darkness throughout the land, and I think that it was an eerie darkness. I think that it was a supernatural darkness where people really couldn't see. And, of course, we know that people who don't have Jesus Christ, that they're in darkness, aren't they? So here is the Lord. He extends the day a couple hours, and Hezekiah knows that he has been healed. And so his life extended for 15 years. A couple things happen in this extension of his life. The first thing to take note of in verses 12 through 19. We read at that time, Baradach uh, Beladin, the son of Beladin, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the house 
of his treasures, the silver and gold and the spices and precious ointment and all his armory. And all that was found among his treasures, there was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Verse 14, then Hezekiah, or Isaiah, the prophet, went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, They come from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, They've seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. And then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. And behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, who will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah in verse 19, that the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, will there be peace and truth at least in my days? Interesting, a couple things to note here. Here is Hezekiah. He recovers from his sickness, and these envoys come from a faraway place called Babylon. As I mentioned to you, at this time that the Assyrians are declining in power, their army just got wiped out. They never really recovered from it. Uh, And the Babylonians out east are all of a sudden beginning to rise to power. And they're coming to see Hezekiah. And they said, Hezekiah, we heard that you were healed of your sickness and we brought these gifts. I think there was a little bit more to it than that. I think these envoys were coming because they heard that the the mighty Assyrian army was defeated by, you know, Hezekiah. Not knowing, you know, uh, that the Lord is the one that defeated them. But they're probably wondering what happened there. And we got to check this out. So they're coming to check that out. And then also, um, as they would come, they're going to come kind of spying out the land, if you would. They're coming to see what's this temple like and what's here in this temple. And these envoys here, as they present presents, I think they kind of butter up Hezekiah here. And Hezekiah, in a little bit of, uh, of pride, he, he's saying, yeah, these guys are coming to see me. Hey, while you're here, why don't you come and see all my treasures that I have, the gold and the silver, see my armory. So he's showing them around. Isaiah comes along and says, hey, Hezekiah, who are those guys? Oh, just some guys from a faraway country called Babylon. Well, what are you doing? I'm showing them around. What did you show them, Hezekiah? I showed them everything. The gold, the silver, the armory, everything in the house of the Lord. And you know what these guys are doing? They're taking notes. They're writing everything down to have it in record there in Babylon. And so Isaiah comes along and he gives the prophecies. The day is going to come when Babylon's going to come and take you away captive. It's going to take some of your young men to be eunuchs in the palace of Babylon. And that's going to happen a little over 100 years after you know, this time here in chapter 20. And we know that it was Isaiah that said it's not going to happen in your day. It's, it's not going to happen in your day, Hezekiah. So he says, that's good, Hezekiah. Uh, he said, there will be, uh, not be peace and truth, at least in my days. He's saying, hey, that's a good thing. It's going to happen 100 years later. And we know, as we're going to study in a few weeks here, when Jerusalem is taken over by Babylon and they go into captivity, that there's going to be three waves of captivity that will take place. In the first wave, in 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem. He takes the choice men of, of Judah, that is Daniel, 
as well as his three friends, uh, Azariah, Mishael, and, um, and Hananiah, known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're taken off to Babylon to serve in the you know, government and be trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government. So that's what happens in 605 B.C. And then they take a few of the treasures away, but it would be later on in the second wave of captivity that they really come in and they haul these treasures away that was shown to these envoys. So these guys know what is there, what is in the temple in Jerusalem and all these things. So we'll be reading about that in a few weeks. But I want to take note of something. Hezekiah is a good king. He's a godly king, but he's not without flaws. And his response here, it kind of, as I look at it, I'm sure that Isaiah perhaps was a little bit disappointed. He says, oh, well, at least it's not going to happen in my day. Not really concerned about his grandchildren or great-grandchildren's day. What's going to happen? And that's why I say that the priority for you and for me is that we are concerned what's going to happen with their children and with our grandchildren and with our great-grandchildren. You know, as I open up in prayer, as I read this and as we go through this, well, we see the condition of the nation that the nation is going to be plunged deep into idol worship here when we continue on once again. And spiritually, the nation is very sick. Hezekiah is one of the last of the godly kings. There's going to be one more that will come on the scene. But Hezekiah here, he doesn't seem to be too concerned of what his children or his grandchildren or his great-grandchildren's future is. At least it's not going to happen to me. And may that never be our attitude or our mindset. You know, as I look at this, I'm, you know, I see some things here that really stir my heart as we've gone over these chapters. Listen, I don't claim to be a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I'm a simple Bible teacher. And we have seen how God, trying to get the attention of a nation that he loves, and he has brought certain things to them, and he said that it would happen. There's been drought, there's been locust infestation, there's been all these things. When I look at our nation and I look at the condition that we're in, I'm very much concerned for our children and our, my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren if the Lord tarries. Because I know that we're on a road that is spiritually in decline, morally in decline, and it very much concerns me. And as I said that, you know, it's interesting. I, I was watching, and usually I, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I, I did have a chance to watch some of the State of the Union address of our president. And we are to pray for our president, and we're reminded of that as we're commanded the scriptures to do that. And I would encourage us that we are to do that. But as I listen, I get very much frustrated. I, I get very much concerned, and I get disappointed and some of the things in the direction that we are headed. And I know that there's implosion that is coming, not only spiritually, but also economically and and, and to our nation because of the road that we're on and the way that we're doing things and the direction that we're going. We are very much in in decline spiritually. We know that we were a nation that were founded upon the principles of the scriptures and godly men who founded our nation. There's no doubt about that. You can research it yourself. 
And for so many years and generations after generation, we were known as a godly country, and, and yet our president not long ago would make that statement that we're no longer a Christian nation. The sad thing is I agree with him. That he said it in the context of it's a good thing. Because we're a nation that, you know, we do have religious freedoms and liberties, but when I hear that, it grieves me that a nation that was so strong for the Lord and believed in the Lord, and the Lord has blessed this nation. We say, God bless you, and God bless the United States. He's blessed us. But yet we're a nation that more and more what we're doing is we're pushing God out of our nation, we're pushing God out of our schools and out of our government and out of our courtrooms out of our families and it does very much concerns me it was interesting that our president talked about how we need to make it a priority that we need to protect our children and innocent lives of our young people but yet I see that 54 million babies have been aborted he says there are things that we can do that are preventable to protect the innocent young people well, I think stopping abortion is preventable. And I think it's the shame of our nation. And I know that there's forgiveness. And I know that there is, you know, God's grace and mercy for those who have gone through an abortion. And God brings forgiveness. As he forgives, brings forgiveness to all of us. But as a nation, we need to repent from that. I hear him say about how, you know, we need to do something about, you know, the, the global warming and all of this and greenhouse effects. And the last 15 years has brought 12 of the hottest summers on record. And there's a debate, I know that there is, about what's going on. Is it because of greenhouse effects and carbons, you know, being into our atmosphere? Something's going on. Or is it just a natural trend? Because we've only been taking measurements for a little over 100 years. But something is going on. And as I said, that I don't claim and boast to say what is the sovereignty of God, but I think he's trying to get a hold of this nation. And, and the president's talking about, it's no coincidence that there's these hurricanes and floods and wildfires and all that. And I'm going, yeah, because God wants to get our attention. He loves this nation. And I am very much concerned for our nation, and that's why we need to pray. And what I hope for us here at Calvary Chapel is that we would be a light in our community and we would stand for, for righteousness. I think personally, this is my own opinion, I think that the church in America is very, very weak. There's a lot of activity, there's a lot of religiousness, there's a lot of hype, there's a lot of entertainment, but there's not a whole lot of standing on the truth of God's word and standing for what is right. And I want to be one that we want to tell people the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ. But as a nation, I think our only hope is that there's another great awakening. And if we continue on the road that we're on, spiritually, morally, financially, I mean, look at it. I hear the talk over and over again, we need to deal with their debt, 16 trillion and counting, that it seems to be the no norm that every year there's a trillion dollars in debt that is added on, you know, or deficit added on to our national debt. And guess who has to pay it? Our children, you guys that are young, grandchildren, 
And it gets bigger and it gets bigger and it gets more and it gets more. And we need to pray. And I hope our attitudes are not, well, as long as nothing happens in my lifetime or things are okay. No, we need to pray for our children. We need to pray for our grandchildren. And you see, that's why I'm emphasizing here tonight that if we want to take care of things and get things in order, folks, you've got to be praying for your children and for our young people. And I, what I see is, is just a tremendous need for us to make that a priority in our lives. We're called to do that in Scripture. That you as parents and as grandparents to be raising your children in the ways of the Lord and the admonition of the Lord. Because our young people are under such attack and the enemy is attacking them and we know that there's many voices that are leading them into deception. And listen, hear my heart on this because I know that I might step on a few toes here. That what I see more and more is being in fellowship and being involved in serving the Lord and being involved in a church and being committed to and consistent in that is becoming less and less of a priority with people. And the reason is, is because there's so many activities that can pull you away, so much busyness in life. There's the, you know, festivals, there's activities. And I'm not saying because you miss a Sunday that that's all terrible. But what I see is those things end up very easily becoming a priority. When the priority, listen, needs to be the spiritual things in our families and to our children. The sports get in the way. And listen, my children, my Children are very much involved in sports. They were, but here's the thing. When they, I got two of them that graduated from high school. When it was done, it was done. And the priority in our prayer was in raising them was not the sports. I got a son who played on a state championship football team and honorable mention, all-state linebacker. And we very much enjoyed that time. But when it was done, it was done. And more than anything is that our prayer, Sue and I, is that all of our children, and our prayer for you and for your children, is that they be strong in the Lord. Because it doesn't matter if they're excelling it, whatever it might be, if they don't have the Lord. What good is it? And I've seen it to where parents said, we're going to make these other things a priority We'll see you in about eight months, Pastor. Because we don't have time to be in fellowship. And we don't have time to be in church. And then when we see them, they struggle and they come to me and they say, well, my kids aren't walking in the ways of the Lord because you made other things a priority. And it's not just coming to church. It's a daily consistent thing that we need to be involved in. How it's important for us as parents and as men that as you are the head of your homes, that that has taken place in your house. It has to be consistent. And if you're one that says, well, just kind of a lethargic, lazy kind of attitude about spiritual things, it doesn't matter if you know, we're praying as a family or we speak of the things of God or if we're serving the Lord or we're in fellowship in church. If we make it to church once a month, that's fine, that's okay. And you know what your kids are going to learn? That same kind of attitude. And it's not going to be important to them. And then what's going to happen is when they get on their own, there's a slaughter that happens. 80% of kids, this is a statistic, 
that has come across my desk over and over again on different studies. 80% of kids that are in the church when they graduate high school no longer want to go to church any longer. They're walking away from the faith. Because we get mixed up on priorities. And listen, I know that I'm preaching a little bit to the choir here because you guys are here. But may we make that a priority in our families and in our lives. Are you hearing my heart on this? Because Satan is there. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And as I said, those two and a half tribes, they were on the other side of the Jordan River because they were more concerned about their cattle than the calling that they had. And you can enjoy the sports. You can enjoy the activities. I'm not saying don't do that. But really, honestly, evaluate. All of us need to do this. What is a priority in our homes and in our lives and with our children? And there are a lot of things that will distract us. Do we spend more time on Facebook than we do reading our Bibles? I'm not saying get rid of Facebook. Do we spend more time on whatever, Pinterest or whatever it might be, or watching TV or other things than we do in this coming to the Lord in the spiritual things? So may we give the Lord the priority and our children the priority of raising them up in the ways of the Lord. That really is my prayer for us. I was so excited with the men's conference that all the guys that came out, because it really spoke to us about being men and leaders in our homes, about being men that say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And how we need to do that in these days, because it is perilous times that we are living in. And we know that in the last days that there will be those that will be given over to itchy ears and leaving sound doctrine and walking away from the faith. And we know that, that evil imposters are going to grow worse and worse, as Paul would tell Timothy. And we're seeing it today. And what a blessing it was for us to be reminded how important it is that we're leading our families and that we're ministering to our children and taking on the responsibility that has been given to us and raise our children in the ways of the Lord. And I know that the ladies are going to be blessed as well as they're going to be reminded of the important ministry that you have as moms and grandmoms and growing to be you know, women of God, that you're going to be touched. And then when we get done with that and when we get done with Second Kings, at the end of the month here, we're going to do a four-week series on crisis in the family to be an encouragement to you in how to have a healthy marriage, how to have peace in your home, how to be godly parents. And I want to encourage you to come out and be a part of that because I want to encourage you. I hope you're hearing my heart on this. But Hezekiah says, oh, at least there's peace in my day. But we would be ones that we would say, you know what, Lord, I'm concerned about the days of where my children are going to grow up and my grandchildren if you tarry. So I want to make sure that I'm doing everything that I can to help them be strong in the Lord. And maybe perhaps that's what I'm trying to get across to you. That we don't want to be passive about that, lazy about that, but we want to take that calling and that charge very, very serious. So we know that Hezekiah, he ends up dying as we read the rest of the chapter. 
The rest of the acts of Hezekiah, all his might, he made a pool in the tunnel. He brought water into the city. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Judah? So Hezekiah, he makes this tunnel. You can go to Jerusalem today and go through this tunnel. It's absolutely amazing. 1,777 feet from the uh, spring of Gihon to the Pool of Siloam. Pool of Siloam, does that ring a bell with you? John chapter 9, Jesus, he takes mud, he wipes it on the man who's born blind. He says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And that man had to walk about a quarter of a mile downhill to the pool of Siloam. Just a few years ago, they actually excavated that pool. They found it. It has steps and everything that leads down to the pool. But you can go through Hezekiah's tunnel, 1,777 feet from the pool of Siloam to Gihon. And they started on opposite ends and they met in the middle. A great engineering feat. So it's an amazing thing to go and see today. The other thing that we see here, the second major thing that happened in his life being extended, Hezekiah rested with his fathers to Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. And Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephispa. Uh, um, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abomination of the nations, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Manasseh is born now. He is going to reign the longest of all the kings of Judah. He is the most wicked and evil king of the kings of Judah. We read in verse 3, For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal made a wooden image as Ahab king of Israel had done, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. Manasseh was called the Ahab of Judah. Because you remember Ahab, how terrible he was when he was reigning up in, in the northern ten tribes. But we know in verse 4, he built altars in the house of the Lord, which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars all around the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he also made his son pass through the fire. Uh, that is a practice as they worship Moloch, sacrificing their uh, children on the arms of Moloch in the valley of Gehenna. He also, as we read, he was practiced soothsaying and used witchcraft and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he even set a carved image of Asherah that he, he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I've chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will make the feet of Israel wonder any more from the land which I gave to their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all that I commanded them and according to all the law and my servant Moses commanded them. We read in verse 9, And they paid no attention, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. So here they were. It is told that they were worse at this time than the Canaanites were when Joshua came into the land. That's quite a serious indictment. They've actually done excavations in Jerusalem, found mountains of idols there in Jerusalem dating back to the time of Manasseh. That's how bad it was. We read in verse 10, And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord of God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. Isn't that interesting? His ears are going to tingle. In other words, there was Hosea, there was Joel, there was Nahum, there was Habakkuk, there was Isaiah that were speaking to the people, but they refused to listen. 
As I mentioned to you before, some of the last words that Paul the Apostle wrote to us in the New Testament, he said to Timothy that a time is going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves false teachers, and they will turn themselves away from the truth. I think we're seeing that day today. That people are given over to itchy ears. Whatever sounds good. Whatever sounds really good is what people want to hear. In verse 12, as we see, verse 13 actually, I will stretch over Jerusalem, the measuring line of Samaria, and the pulmit of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hands of their enemies and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another beside his sins by which he made Judah sin and doing evil in the sight of the Lord. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about prophet Son that were, you know, sawn in half. They took a saw and cut them in half. It is believed that Isaiah was sawed in half by Manasseh. So he's killing the prophets here. Innocent blood. Uh, he was a very violent man, Manasseh. And the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and the sin that he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Manasseh rested with his fathers, was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah, and then his son Amon reigned in his place. And as you read the rest of the chapter, you see that Amon only reigned for two years. He ended up being killed and uh, assassinated. Um, and then they're going to put Josiah in as king. And Josiah is going to bring reforms to the nation. And that's where we're going to pick it up last time. But Manasseh plunges Judah deep, deep into idol worship, into all kinds of perverse practices to where they were worse than the Canaanites when Joshua came in and the Lord looks at it and he says, that's it, because of Manasseh, the sins of Manasseh, you're going to go off into captivity. And even though we're going to see reforms happen, we're going to talk about how the people's hearts really weren't for the Lord. Jeremiah talks about that. Even though Josiah was a godly king that brought reforms, there wasn't real true revival and regeneration that took place. Listen, it's very important that we always have our hearts be searched before the Lord. Because we can say, I'm going to start going to church. We talk to people, don't we? I'm going to read my Bible. There may be reforms that take place, but is there really revival that has taken place? Is there really repentance that has taken place? Has there really been regeneration that has taken place in your heart? Because that's what God sees. And He desires for us to be men and women that have a heart after Him. The reforms, reforms won't do anything. But what really is what counts is what's in our hearts. It's good to read our Bibles, it's good to sing praise songs, it's good to come to church. But what the Lord is looking for is our hearts. They are truly surrendered to Him. As He gives us new hearts, as we surrender to Him, regeneration happens. As we come in repentance, realizing, Oh, Lord, I need You. I need to turn to You. And again, I pray, if there's anybody that's here tonight, that you truly haven't turned to the Lord. Maybe there's, there's been reforms, but has there been real regeneration and repentance that has happened? 
Give yourself to the Lord tonight. He loves you so much. Jesus died for you to save you and forgive you and to bring you into right relationship with the Father. Thank you, Father, for this time in your word. And Lord, even though these are heavy chapters, uh, Father, um, they're very important chapters for us to consider. And these are written for us so we can learn. So, Father, I pray, first of all tonight, that we want to make application for ourselves. Lord, we don't just want reforms to happen. We want real regeneration. We want real repentance and when there needs to be that. Repentance and coming to Christ, first of all, because that's the message of the gospel. The gospel is that all of us have sinned and we need to turn to Jesus Christ. And that's what repentance means, just turning to the one who can save us and surrender to him. So I pray if there's anybody here tonight or out in a coffee shop that you've never done that. Truly, maybe you've gone to church, maybe, you know, you've listened to Christian music, whatever it might be, belong to a Bible study. Maybe you've not done none of that. But the bottom line has you have you surrendered to Jesus Christ, your life and called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Today is the day of salvation, tonight. Because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. And so if you're here tonight and you don't know if you're really right with the Lord or you have a true personal relationship with Him, reforms won't save you, but regeneration will. Being born again by the Spirit of God as you surrender, come in faith, You can't earn salvation. You can't buy the Holy Spirit as we're going to see on Sunday. It's a gift that is given. As you come and give your heart to Jesus, will you do that right now? He loves you. No one else can save you. You can't save yourself. No one else died for you or rose from the grave. Jesus Christ is alive. And He is our salvation. None other. And you pray right where you're sitting, Jesus, I come to you because I am a sinner and I recognize my need for you. I believe you died on Calvary's cross for my sins. Forgive me of my sins. And that you were put into a grave and you rose again. And Lord, I come and I ask you to be my personal Lord and Savior. I surrender my heart to you right now. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to live for you all the days of my life that my heart would be for you, Lord, because I believe in you with all of my heart. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And for all of us that are here, Lord, how we need you, how we need you desperately to be the men and women of God that you've called us to, whatever state that we're in, to help us to be the parents that you've called us to be, the husband or the wife that you've called us to be, that, Lord, that the our relationship with you would be first in our lives. Our, our, Lord, Christianity would be the most important thing, our relationship with you, because that's what Christianity is. That we wouldn't become lazy and lethargic about our growth in you and continuing in the scriptures. And I thank you for those who are here tonight on this night coming out. And I know it pleases you, Lord. But Lord, may we continue consistently day after day and surrender to you and yielding to you and living in your love and standing on your word. 
be men and women that are committed to you because you want to bless us so much. And especially in the days in which we're living in, perilous times, that, Lord, there's so much deception out there. There's so many things that pull us away from you. And, Lord, that we would be ones that we would place ourselves that where you are the priority and that you would help us to minister to our family, to our children, to our grandchildren, to our spouses. And, Lord, that we would leave a godly heritage that we would set things in order in our house spiritually, that's the priority. And Lord, that we wouldn't be lazy or passive about it. But Lord, I pray for all the families that are here, the marriages that are here, the moms and dads, the grandparents, whatever state that we're in, that we can have a great influence to the people that are linked to us in our lives. Help us take on the responsibilities that have been given to us and ordained to us as men and women. Lord, I pray that for our nation that there would be a great revival, a great awakening, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We do pray for our president, for our leaders, that somehow there would be a turning to you. That, Lord, that there would be change of heart and awareness of how we need you as a nation I pray that the church would be a true light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Lord I pray that we would stand in love and in truth that's our weapons truth and love the men and women in our community would see that we stand for you that we love you. And Lord, that they would see the countenance and the reality and the joy of the Lord in our hearts and in our lives. So Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the word that has been given and I pray you take us all home safely tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Would you please stand?